The question is, are you ready? This is The Drive with Josh Graham. On Sports Hub Triad. You are on a Friday drive. Where for all the talk about Wake Forest Pittsburgh being a nightmare scenario for the ACC. Scenario, scenario. We're off to a great start today. I'm expecting this game to be a lot better than my ability to speak the English language. I think it's going to be the best game of the weekend. It's a reason why, from a betting perspective, I'd stay away from betting either side of this game. Speaking of bets, how about them Cowboys? Good teams win, great teams cover. Put some money on it. But I'm really conflicted on picking this game. Robert, as you know, I've been leading the pit train all year long. So I've been watching this team almost every single week. Choo-choo! And I've watched close to every single snap of Wake Forest this year. So in close calls, I tend to lean on what I trust more. And I trust Wake Forest slightly more than I trust Pittsburgh. That's why I'm taking the Demon Deacons to win this game. Without rambling too much about the X's and O's, let's try to drill a little bit deeper into the matchup. Wake's offense is unique. Not rare, unique. Nobody else does the mesh point that Warren Ruggiero has brought to Winston-Salem, and that's something that Pittsburgh's going to have difficulty accounting for. I also think Wake Forest is just a little bit more balanced. Pittsburgh's one of the four worst teams in the ACC in rushing offense, despite the fact their scoring offense is so good. Wake Forest is number one in the ACC in scoring offense. But think about it. Wake Forest, every single team that they've played this year has been prepared. I'm talking about conference opponents. Has seen in the last couple years some version of Wake's offense. Has faced the Demon Deacons. Like even the coastal opponents. Usually you wouldn't see Virginia but for every four years. But with the pandemic season and the schedules being a bit more regional, Wake Forest played Virginia last year. So they were exposed already, many of the guys who played in that game, to what Wake does. Same goes for Duke every single season. North Carolina, strangely enough, has played Wake Forest each of the last three seasons now. So they've all seen it. Pittsburgh is the one ACC team that Wake Forest is playing this year that has not been exposed to this offense in more than two seasons. Three seasons even. You have to go back to 2018. Robert, this is crazy and speaks to how dumb divisional scheduling is. Wake Forest hasn't faced Pittsburgh since Pitt clinched the Coastal the first time back in 2018. It's been three years since that's happened. That is the only time in the history of these two programs that they've met each other. Pittsburgh's been in the league for eight years, and Dave Clawson and Wake still have never been to Heinz Field to play Pittsburgh. So given how unique the offense Wake has, preparing for it on a one-week prep, that is a much greater challenge than what the Deeks are going to be facing with this Pitt offense regardless of how good Pickett is. But while we're talking about the Wake defense, I get Pittsburgh way up there in sacks, top three, top four in the country in team sacks. This Wake defense is more opportunistic and more seasoned. 
We talk about experience and how important that's been this year. For Wake Forest, you got all those six-year guys on the defensive side of the ball. A guy like Luke Masterson. How about a seventh-year player who's been playing football since 2015 and Miles Fox? These are guys that have seen next to every kind of offense you could throw at him. We've talked about how good ACC quarterbacks have been this year. Wake Forest has faced this season, or I guess counting Pittsburgh on Saturday, they will have faced six of the top eight offenses in the ACC this year. I'll say that again. After Saturday's game, Wake will have faced six of the top top eight offenses in the ACC this year. And by the way, one of the two they haven't faced is themselves because they're the number one scoring offense. Hope you're following along here. Pittsburgh has only played three of the top eight offenses this year. So I think Wake's a little bit more prepared. Their defense, once again, really high up there in takeaways. That's something they do really well. I think they're top five in the nation in that category. So I asked Dave Clawson about it earlier today, and this is why he says, It's not an exact science, but it's something we expect to do and that we do well turning over the ball on the defensive side. We've, I mean, that's an area that we've been pretty good at Josh. Traditionally Um, we spend a lot of time at it. We, we teach habits of how to attack the football, uh, whether it's, you know, a punch or a strip or a rake. Uh, We have different techniques that we teach and coach. And I think as players get older and they've kind of learned those habits and they become second nature, it certainly helps. But going back to trust, I trust Dave Clawson a little bit more than I trust Pat Narduzzi. There's a reason why he's the ACC coach of the year. This feels like Wake Forest shot. That if you don't win this one, who knows the next opportunity you're going to get, given the type of firepower that's on the other side or on, in the rest of the Atlantic. Clemson, how long are you going to keep that monster down? NC State and Dave Doran on the upswing. Heck, even Florida State bouncing back after an 0-4 start, and they're going to have a top-10 recruiting class next year. How long are you going to keep those programs down? Wake's one of those teams, one of those programs, that you can't really be a contender every year, but every few you can charge it up and have a 2021-like season or a 2006-like season. If you're Pittsburgh, you have to be looking around the Coastal and thinking, hmm, three head coaches have already been fired in this division, and Miami's probably going to make another change too. So it's just Pat Narduzzi and Mac Brown, the only coaches that are going to be in place who started the season in the Coastal division. So And Pitt was there just three years ago. I can't imagine Dave Clawson letting this opportunity slip away. It seems like so many people, all throughout the year, when enough people are betting against the Deeks, and it seems like every side is on Pittsburgh right now, I tend to go the other way. And I'm going to go the other way here. Give me Wake Forest 42, Pittsburgh 35. We look forward to getting out there to Bank of America Stadium tomorrow, and you could listen to the game right here on WSJS Sports. Robert Walsh is the producer of this show. We've got the voice of the Demon Deacon, Stan Cotton, who's going to join us in studio alongside Connor O'Neill from Deacon Illustrated. That'll be in about 20 minutes or so. 
How about this? In hoops, this weekend is our sneak preview of the ACC basketball season because starting tonight, we're going to have seven ACC conference games over the next 48 hours. That's going to include every team in the league except one, and that one team just so happens to be the only ranked team in the league currently, Duke. Some of the games, like the two tonight in Chestnut Hill and Charlottesville, I don't have a heck of a lot of interest in watching, but there are four that stand out to watch. Beginning 4 o'clock tomorrow afternoon, ACC Network, the marquee game, Syracuse at Florida State. Some history on the line here for Ham's group. FSU is looking to tie the ACC record for consecutive home wins if they're able to win this game. Talking about home wins in conference play. So home winning streak against conference opponents, Florida State's won 25 in a row. That has not happened since Mike Krzyzewski and Duke reeled off 26 in a row from 1997 to 2000. Florida State could tie that with a win. They lost earlier this week, got boat raced by Purdue in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, but Raquan Evans missed that game. There's a chance he could come back for Florida State, according to reports. So that's the marquee matchup. Then you got two road games to watch that I'm interested in. Louisville and North Carolina both going on the road. Louisville's going to NC State. Chris Max Group, one of those teams I put in the mix, are they the second best team in the league? Talent-wise, North Carolina would like to be in that discussion. But Louisville is 5-2 and two to start the year. Remember, Chris Mack with the Dino Gaudio stuff this summer? He was suspended for the first seven games. This is going to be Chris Mack's debut this season as Louisville's coach. 5-2 and two start there at NC State. North Carolina, meanwhile, I'd be concerned of a letdown spot. You had this massive performance against Michigan. Everything went right for you, and now you got to go bring it against Georgia Tech, and you got to bring it on the road, and you got to bring it on a Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock. That's going to be an interesting spot. We talk about consistency. We talk about maturity with that team. North Carolina can – we'll learn some things about, I think, Louisville and North Carolina this weekend with their ACC games. Then there's Wake Forest and Virginia Tech. This game really intrigues me. I think it's going to be kind of like what I just brought up with those two road games. It's going to be telling either way. Virginia Tech, they've lost twice against pretty good competition last week, Xavier and Memphis. They are at home. I think they're also in that debate of, are they the second best team in the ACC? If they win impressively, I'd probably say yes. Meanwhile, there's Wake Forest who I think I wrote in the ACC men's basketball preview, the ACC Sports Journal uh, that dropped in the last month. I think they're going to be the surprise team in the league. I think they're going to overachieve. This is the most talented Wake team. Just by sheer talent, we since since uh, Dino Gaudio coached his last year in 2010. I believe that. This team's really talented. And if they win, if they go to Blacksburg and get a win tomorrow afternoon at 2 o'clock, and they're 8-1, and one, I think we might be talking about a ranked Wake Forest basketball team Monday morning or Monday afternoon when we speak to you. That's amazing if Steve Forbes is able to accomplish that. And if you think that sounds outlandish, Wake Forest already received a couple of votes in the AP Top 25 earlier this week. Insert wins against Northwestern and Virginia Tech. 
eight and one might be good enough there. This weekend, a sneak preview of the ACC basketball season. Can't wait for that. As I mentioned, Stan Cotton, Connor O'Neill, both going to be in studio with us in a bit. The college football playoff selection show is on Sunday afternoon. I think it's going to be at noon or 12.30, right before the NFL games kick off. Panthers on a bye this weekend. I'll tell you why I'm expecting history to be made on two accounts with those rankings next on The Drive. He's the man. He's the man. (laughs) Settle down. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Connor O'Neill and the voice of the Deke Stan Cotton will be in studio in 15 minutes. We'll talk with Dave Pulaski in a bit, our high school football game of the week. We actually have conference championship football tonight to watch, including the Pac-12 championship to keep an eye on as Oregon looks to bounce back in a rematch against Utah. Utah ended all hope of a playoff appearance for the Ducks a few weeks back. That's going to be 8 p.m. on ABC. Western Kentucky, before that, faces UTSA, the Roadrunners, who are 11-1, CBS Sports Network, at 7 o'clock. The next time we speak to you guys on Monday afternoon, we will know who's going to be competing in the college football playoff. And I am anticipating, much like this college football season, Sunday's playoff selection is going to be historic for two reasons. Number one, none of the fearsome foursome is going to be present in the playoff. Who's the fearsome foursome? Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Oklahoma have consumed 20 of the 28 playoff spots of the last seven years. I don't think any of those four teams are going to be in there. Consider this. Every single year, at least two of those four have been in every single college football playoff. I think once Georgia dispatches Bama, that's going to become a reality. And the reason I like Georgia in that game, Alabama, if you've just watched them, whether or not they were playing in Gainesville and that game was close, or were playing a tight game against Arkansas, or playing with their food against LSU and probably should have lost at Jordan-Hare last weekend, this is not the same Alabama football team. And this stat tells us a lot about what to expect on conference championship weekend since 2014. So we're talking about the playoff era. Favorites of four points or more are 23-1 and in Power 5 title games. Alabama is a six-point underdog. I think Georgia's going to win that game, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's by double digits. So Alabama, with two losses, not going to be in the playoff mix anymore. Cincinnati. I think that's probably going to be more dramatic than you think because of the pressure that's going to build. It's going to be middle of the day. They have a chance to make history. We've never seen a group of five put into the playoff. What a special moment it'll be if Cincinnati is the first on Sunday. I think they beat Houston, but I think that's going to be a really good game to keep an eye on. That's the second bit of history I think we're going to see with Sunday. As for the other two spots, I think Michigan and Oklahoma State are going to avoid upsets. I think that. But with this college football season, I could see either of those teams losing. I could. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm picking Michigan. I'm picking Oklahoma State. Strangely, I think I, even though the spread's wider, I have more concerns about Michigan taking care of business against Iowa than I do Oklahoma State against Baylor because Baylor's having some quarterback issues, some injuries there. 
and Michigan's coming off that win against Ohio State, that they might take some things for granted against Iowa, just a fear that I have. But assuming they both win, the playoff is going to be Georgia, the number one seed, Michigan, the two, Oklahoma State jumping Cincinnati with the win over Baylor, Cincinnati four, which gives us a rematch of that great bowl game last year between Cincinnati and Georgia. Robert, I thought you were going to dial up Dave Pulaski and we were going to check in with him. High school football game of the week tonight, 7.30 kick, 7 o'clock pregame. But then just moments ago, you told me Dave's actually in the studio right now. He hasn't gone to the site yet. Would you like him just to pop into the studio? I'm like, of course. So hello, Dave Pulaski. Good to have you in here. What's up, man? It's good to be here. All right. Let's talk college football first before we get to what you got going on tonight. Any objections to anything I just said there? I think everything you said is pretty reasonable. And and especially with that Cincinnati-Houston game being close because that Houston team lost the opener to Texas Tech and has since rattled off 11 in a row. Every game. That's a good team. And that's going to be an under-the-radar team that's going to give the Bearcats some fits. And as we've seen over the last couple of weeks with Cincinnati – and we saw the uh, most recent game against East Carolina, they get off to slow starts at times. Yeah, ECU had an opportunity there, but they just never really put their foot down. One thing that's kind of fishy, though, this week, coaching carousels, been a big part of the story. With Oklahoma still out there, and some of these headlines we just saw for Brett McMurphy surrounding Miami, some of this stuff, and and, and I assume Luke Fickle's going to be up maybe for Oklahoma and some of these other jobs. I'm I'm concerned how that affects the psyche of a team, how much they pay attention to those things. Like if you're Oregon tonight and you're playing, how can you not have in the back of your mind, maybe Mario Cristobal might go back to Miami where he was once a coach, a player, and was born around there. I also think he coached FIU too. So that guy's as Miami as anything you're going to find. Yeah, it's and that's the big question too because how many times have we seen going into bowl games with interim head coaches, it's like, well, do we pick these guys or do we not? And sometimes the teams respond in a, in a good manner. Sometimes they come out and play hard for those guys. Other times, they have their foot out the door just as much as the coach does. All right, give me the pitch, though. Tonight, Dudley in action. Yep. So, obviously, we're all on Dudley. Tell me about what you're going to be calling tonight. Well, it's, it's going to be a contrast in styles because South Point, who comes into the game on a seven-game winning streak, they were four and three. From the Queen City. From just outside Charlotte in Belmont, made the 100-mile trip uh, up 85 uh, to Tarpley Stadium for today's game. And they run the triple option offense. So it's going to be like watching an Army-Navy game. <laughs> you know, straight up, you know, the, the, their tailback is third in the state in rushing yards, almost 2,400, has 33 touchdowns this season. So if they can control the ball – and limit the number of possessions that Dudley has with that explosive offense putting up 46 points a game, all of a sudden that outcome gets thrown into question. So we'll, we'll see whether or not Dudley can dominate the line of scrimmage and force South Point to work from behind the chains. If they can, Dudley could possibly win fairly easily. But if South Point has some success running the football, then all of a sudden it becomes a very wide-open matchup. Dave Pulaski hanging out in studio with us. 7.30 kick, 7 o'clock pregame. It is regional championship Friday with a trip to the state championship hanging in the balance for next week. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but off the top of your head, how many teams can you think might have a shot 
to go to the state championship and potentially win it out of the triad? Uh, well, there's two teams that are still alive. There's there's uh, Dudley's still hanging around, and East Surrey's trying to go to a fourth consecutive oh, wow. state championship game. They're one and two in those state title games, all of them coming against Tarboro. They don't have to deal with uh, with Tarboro this time around uh, for, for a potential uh, state title game. So uh, it, it'll be a little bit different for them, but they have to go on the road and face Shelby this week, which is going to be a really tough task. Shelby just ended Reedsville's 31-game winning streak. Who is probably – how many years have you been doing play-by-play for Triad uh, This is six. Six years. Yeah. I was thinking about you earlier this week when I watched Breon Pass have that block at the end of regulation against Syracuse mm-hmm. because what an unbelievable triad athlete he was at Reedsville. Yeah. Football, basketball, did it all. When you think about the top high school players that you've covered in the triad who have parlayed their success here and taken it to the next level and maybe even beyond that, who comes to mind first? Wow. Um, that's a that's a really good question. It doesn't have just, to be just, just one triad guy. guys. Yeah, I mean, Javon Leak was a guy who was oh, absolutely wow. dynamic at uh, a Page High School led them to back-to-back state title game appearances. I forgot about him. Played uh, for the Giants for a little while in the NFL. Uh, Hendon Hooker, quarterback for Dudley five years ago when they last won the state title, helped lead them. I I mean, first uh, series of that game against Cape Fear in 2016 in Raleigh. Dudley's facing third down and nine at their own 21. Hendon goes over the top to receiver Nigel Fitzgerald, makes a catch all the way down the sideline for a touchdown, and you just knew the game was over at that point. Because Cape Fear had never been beyond the third round of the playoffs. Dudley, meanwhile, is with this stacked team and with Hendon at quarterback, and he just lobs this this perfect ball right over the shoulder of the guy, and you could see the entire Cape Fear sideline deflate. Mm. So, I mean, Hendon, uh, with his abilities and what he's done at both Virginia Tech and Tennessee, uh, probably doesn't come as a surprise to me, but probably came as a surprise to a lot of other people who had him pegged as a backup guy. Yeah, he def- he deflated, similar to the way he deflated his opponents in high school, he deflated Justin Fuente in Virginia Tech when he decided to lead to Virginia, or not, to Tennessee, excuse me. Who knows, if Hendon stays at Virginia Tech, did they win enough where Justin Fuente still has a job there and it's not Brent Pry who was hired this week? Who knows? But Tennessee fans, and I know a lot of them, very optimistic moving forward with Josh Heupel at the controls after one year and Hendon Hooker potentially able to return for next year. Dave Pulaski, I'm going to let you get prepped for tonight's football game. We look forward to listening to it. We'll see what Dudley's able to do tonight. 7.30 kicks, 7 o'clock pregame start. Thanks for dropping by in studio, buddy. Of course, glad to do it. That is Dave Pulaski. How about we talk to another play-by-play guy? Connor O'Neill is not that guy. But Stan Cotton is voice of the Deeks. Going to talk about the Deeks and also how about them Cowboys? Gosh, I, Stan, his ears just perk up when the Cowboys are brought up and also Tennessee as well. So we'll get into all that with Stan and Connor next. You're on the drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. I like old traditional better. Stan Cotton in studio, voice of the Deeks, Connor O'Neill, Deacon Illustrated as well. Howdy, partners. Yeah, I reckon so. I'm always reminded that I ride shotgun, which is where I prefer to be when Stan's intro music is played in here. <laughs> well, we yeah, need I'm to, just along for the ride. We baby. need no. We we need to uh, 
identifies something for you. No, no, no. Have we talked about that? Robert, I love the man with no name. It is a good point. I'll let Robert... Actually, Connor, tell Robert a few facts about yourself, and maybe for the next segment, we could have something that mirrors... Robert can help pull something that sounds like a theme song for Connor O'Neill. I don't need a Tinder bio, though. Like I understand you like long walks on the beach and stuff like that, but I need uh, like things Starbucks, of substance. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. office. <laughs> I enjoy live music at uh, coffee shops. I like the hike. <laughs> uh, you know, I grew up in ACC country that is no longer ACC country, if that is not a dead giveaway. The only team that's left the conference in the last 20 years. The fighting Danny Mannings of Maryland. Wow. Of a roller coaster. Wow. Uh-huh. So Maryland guy hates official reviews, hates when they go to the monitor. Like, I, I didn't even want to picture Connor. I was at the Smith Center on Wednesday when State was playing Nebraska. And in, th- in the third overtime, TV Ted went over there twice. Went over to the monitor. I was more upset that it was halftime of the, I think it was Georgia Tech. And I've already forgotten who they were playing. I was just watching for Michael. Wisconsin. Duvall. Yeah. I was more upset that it was halftime of that game and I couldn't turn back to it to avoid the replay review. <laughs> Out of spite. Just, I don't care how it happens. Just make a call and go with it. All right. That's another fact about Connor O'Neill. He has oh, this a dog. Is very substantive. He likes, <laughs> he likes dogs. Okay. Dog guy. There you go. Baja, yeah, man. Yeah. We let the dogs out. We figured it out. That's pretty good. I mean, I just came from a dog sitting visit with three, three pups that I'm taking care of kind of like wow. once a day. Um, or do you hire out? What do you mean? Like, get you out to the ranch, take care of some of mine. I mean, are you paying mileage out there? <laughs> Radio Ranch. That's right. <laughs> Make that happen. Before we get to Wake football, how about them Cowboys last night? Good I, teams win, great teams cover, Stan. Yeah, but Dallas isn't right. Defensively, they are. Oh, no, they're not. How many Dude. turnovers did they get last night? Well, good grief. The good. What's his Hill's not even a quarterback. I know, but the point I'm making He's is if Dallas if Dallas gets two or three first downs, then the defense doesn't have to get three more turnovers at the Dallas end. Dallas isn't right. I know they're still what up two two and a half games in their division, uh-huh. which is awful. Come on, the East is terrible. Washington's back though, but uh, it's, uh, Dallas isn't right. How many consecutive games has Washington won now? Three. Do I have that right, Robert? They beat uh, Carolina, they beat Tampa, and they won on Monday night. Yeah, that checks out. Philadelphia? Wait, they lost what, to the what, Giants. What, are your, uh, what odds do you place on Dallas winning a playoff game? Good odds. Okay. Good odds on winning a playoff game. Do I think they're better than Green Bay? No. Do I think they're better than Tampa? Probably not either. But they, would I be stunned if they win two no. playoff games? No. No. I don't, I don't think they will. I agree with Josh. As painful as that is to say, only because the rest of the <laughs> NFC is so bad. It's horrible. It's a terrible conference. It's not good. I'll give uh, you a guess, Connor. Right now, and Stan too. You both can have a guess. Who right now holds the seventh playoff spot in the NFC? Who is the third wild card team in the NFC currently? I think it's the Teamers, and this is only because I had the game on on Monday night, and I. It's told, Washington. Yeah. Washington wow. at five and six is tied with Minnesota and Atlanta. You know, I was I was watching something earlier this morning. I never really don't you know the Washington football team. 
What do you call them? The teamers. I've been calling them the, the teamers for two years. I don't no. think that's official. I don't no, like I, if I'm right. If I'm I, writing a story, I'm not writing in the teamers. It, it was where either I would the, say it, the deacons. I, I was up so early I, this I morning. Like it, though, I can't now. remember if it was this morning. I wondered that, or was it? La- I guess it was last night. That's when it was. No, it was this morning because I usually watch a quarter or a half, and I go to bed, get up early, and then watch the rest of the game. So I think it was this morning. I was like, "What do you call them? The teamers." Let's get to tomorrow night's game. It is Wake. It is Pitt. You know that already. And I want to talk for a second about Sam Hartman, who was included as a finalist uh, for the Manning Award earlier today. What is the Manning Award? I don't even know. Well, yeah. How is it different than the Davy O'Brien or the Maxwell? Well, one of, one of the quarterback awards is upperclassman quarterback, which I thought was kind of cool. Like, it's, it's nice to have the – the quarterbacks who have developed and kind of stayed on that track and haven't left after they have one or two good seasons as early guys. I can't remember what, what name that is. Right. I think it's the, I can't distinguish, I can't distinguish the awards, but the reason why I bring up the Manning award is because I remember in preseason camp talking to Sam about how important it was to him after having the low point of his career cap last season in his hometown, facing Wisconsin in the bowl game, only one pick the entire year and threw four in the game. He got to pick Jake DeLome's brain about it and Peyton Manning and Eli Manning, how to get past that. And Clawson was talking about how you can't really have access to other great quarterbacks if you're the guy in your building. You need to kind of go outside the building and network that way. And it's helped Sam. And now he goes back to his hometown, to that stadium, to play in the biggest game of his career easily. This was Dave Clawson earlier today talking about Sam Hartman and the areas he's grown most. I think just his maturation, his ability to get past a bad play, his ability to forgive himself for a mistake. Uh, He doesn't have this expectation anymore that he has to be perfect. Would you say the Louisville game was an example of that? Yeah, I mean, Josh, you've heard me say that three or four times. I mean, that was, to me, a a breakthrough moment that he threw a bad pick in the fourth quarter, shook it off, and led us to two scoring drives afterwards to win the game. And I don't know if Sam Hartman from a year ago would have handled that as well. Connor, what's impressed you the most about Sam this season? I think that. I mean, you know, not to to automatically default to what we're – just heard Dave Clawson talking about, but I think the ability to put bad plays behind him. Um, if I branch away from that a little bit, it's toughness. I mean, that kid, look, the the RPO pretty much means the quarterback gets hit. So you're talking play. about physical toughness, yeah. not mental toughness. Uh, yeah, and and mental toughness, but that's something that I, you know, we can read stories about. I I'm not diving into Sam's brain sure. and and getting behind that kind of thing, but. But I think what you just mentioned and what Dave just mentioned, putting plays behind you, that is a form of mental toughness in its own right. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's – look, you could write a book on Sam's high school career and what he experienced in high school. Yeah. Then you could write a follow-up book about Sam's college career. And this season may or may not be the last chapter of it. It seems like it might not be. Um, but – yeah, you, know, you you would you would have to cover a lot of ground and you would start with 
the fact that that kid was 175 pounds as a true freshman playing. The thing that I always remember is that offense in 2018 was ready made for a quarterback to step in and have success. But that was because there were so many older guys on that offense. Like Greg Dorch in his third season was kind of like the other young guy on the offense. And he was two years older than Sam. So Sam being in that position, having guys like Ryan Anderson, Phil Haynes, uh, who were in their fifth seasons in the program, kind of looking at you like, hey, kid, you know, you're you're not a captain yet, but your position by default is a leadership position. You need to lead us. I think that fostered Sam's growth and accelerated his growth to where, you know, if you you go back all the way to to Kendall Hinton's three game suspension that was announced before that season. If that suspension doesn't happen, Kendall Hinton's the starting quarterback going into that year, and we might not know where Sam Hartman is at this point. In his debut, he threw for over 400 yards, I think, against Tulane down there at that stadium they have down there. Of course, the game went to overtime, and you know there are some other factors in there as well. That's Connor O'Neill, Deacon Illustrated. We got the voice of the Deke, Stan Cotton, in here as well. I'm Josh Graham. So glad you're listening, however and wherever you're listening. What's the best story you could tell us from inside those walls, given that he's been there for four years now? Well, I don't know. Probably just kind of dovetailing to some of the stuff that Connor's already said about, and Coach Clawson for that matter, just in terms of watching him grow. Um, I mean, he's 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 like a like an NFL corner or a college corner for that matter. In that, you have to completely forget about what just happened twenty seconds later, because you're going to touch the ball again. You know, you're going to touch the ball every single play. And although there have been a few interceptions in in Sam's career, not that many, although last four games he's thrown seven. Yeah, ten on the year. But because the the Wake runs the kind of offense that it does, you know, so many decisions that he is making are coming after the ball is snapped. People don't, I think, a lot of times realize that. They see the long mesh point, but they don't get it in their heads that part of that RPO is – the P is for pass. So every time the ball is snapped, when they're in the RPO mode, he can run it, he can pass it, he can hand it off, and all of those decisions have to be made in a split second, just a, you know, a blink of an eye. And so this has got to be – if you're going to trust your offense to a quarterback, he had better get what you want him to be. And I think Sam – maybe now more than ever, kind of gets it. He understands what Warren Ruggiero and Dave Clawson want, and he is able to let an A.T. Perry shine. He's, he's, he'll let CBS, Christian Bill Smith, do his thing, and that's just fine. Or if it's, if it's Sam throwing the ball downfield to whomever, pick one, he's cool with that. And I think uh, as a young quarterback, you come in, you've had all this, all this success in high school, you're the guy. And although Sam is kind of the guy this year, it's taken a while to get to that point, even though most quarterbacks are their team's guy. But to, to wear that mantle successfully at Wake, I think you have to be able to let those around you shine as well. And I think Sam's okay with that. Uh, and so that all goes back into that hopper of the maturation process of Sam Hartman now compared to 2018. 
Hey, hey, what's all the commotion? You're on the drive with Josh Graham. If you can't be at least mildly interesting, then shut the hell up. On WSJS Sports. Stan Cotton mentioned this earlier, but this might be the craziest week in the history of college football, at least on the coaching carousel. Too many things happening, not enough time on a three-hour show to even get to all of it. That's what a segment like this is for. To recap what's already happened on the carousel and what's left to uncover, we keep it simple. Five words or less. It's simple, man. That's all Josh gets to tell you where your favorite teams are at. It's as marvelous and as simple as that. Let's keep it simple. Just throw them at me, Robert. Reaction to some hires, some schools that still have openings. Where should we begin? Uh, Let's start with the hirings and let's start with uh, Lincoln Riley. USC is a better job. That's how I feel about him leaving Oklahoma. You don't have to go to the SEC where Dan Mullen was fired after making the championship game last year and less than two years after winning a national championship, Ed Orgeron out as well. You don't have to deal with that. A much more manageable, winnable conference at the U- at USC, a pay bump clearly, and you get to live in Los Angeles. Where do I sign up? I completely get it for Lincoln Riley. Uh, you want to bounce around or yeah. you want to stick well, with the higher? You know, let's just knock out one category first and then we can move to another. Uh, let's go to Virginia Tech and Brent Pry then. Don't know enough to dislike. I see Hokie fans who are mad about it because they just don't know who he is. But apparently close with the Beamers, was once a GA in the early 90s for that program. Dave Clausen was talking about today how he helped bring him on as a student assistant at Buffalo when he was the OC there. So there's a little bit of a tie. Brent Pry said he's going to recruit the state of Virginia heavily. That could impact the Tar Heels more than anybody else considering when Fuente struggled recruiting that area. Trey Bly and Mac Brown napped up a lot of those recruits over there. Uh, let's go down to Notre Dame and uh, Marcus Freeman then. Introduced today, putting out some videos on social media that are getting a lot of traction. I wanted head coaching experience. That's what I wanted from that job. Just because, historically speaking, the coaches that have previous collegiate head coaching experience have done well. And every single example of a coach who hasn't in the last 50 years has won fewer than 60% of their games. I hope that's not the case with Marcus Freeman because he seems likable. And everything I've heard from him I like. But when you're Notre Dame and you just got poached by another school for the first time ever, I think an opportunity was missed to show how much power there is in South Bend and with that brand to pull out, you know, pull away another top-tier coach in college or in, in, in the NFL and bring them to South Bend. They just chose not to do that. 
And let's wrap it up with the family man, Brian Kelly. Family man. Stop talking and win games. That's it. Eli Gold is from Brooklyn and is the voice of the Alabama radio network. You don't need a southern accent. Paul Feinbaum. Robert, look up where Paul Feinbaum's from. I don't I don't think he's a Birmingham guy, even though he did radio in Birmingham forever and then parlayed that into what he's done with the SEC network. I don't think he's from the South either. Just because you're in the South doesn't mean you have to have a thick Southern drawl. He is from Memphis, Tennessee. Okay, I guess that kind of counts. Stop talking and win games. I think he's going to be fine because he's a great football coach and it's going to figure it out. But the Southern accent, you got to drop that. Uh, let's switch over to the openings. Uh, we'll start with Duke. Yeah, oh yeah. Duke is still open. Uh, Jeff Munkin can elevate Duke. That's what you're looking for. There's no doubt David Cutcliffe in the 13 years in Durham elevated Duke and made it a better place to be. Dave Clawson and Paul Johnson in the time that Cutcliffe's coached in this league have proven that in this conference, if you're not one of the powerhouse name brands, it probably is best for you to run a style that's unique to make it difficult for you to play against week to week. That's how you can win big. It'll take time to build if you bring in Jeff Munkin to run the triple like he has at Army. But that's, I think, the best option. He wants a Power 5 gig. Duke's a perfect fit for that to make them competitive in a few years. Nina King's not worried about her job or anything. She has good standing. There's the administrations in place to be aligned with the Jeff Munkin and follow the plan. Uh, let's go to another ACC school in Virginia. Same division, too, Virginia. I might surprise you with this one. I've seen a lot of people throw Jamie Chadwell out there. Mike Elko, Texas A&M defensive coordinator. Mike Elko is a fit. Coached at prestigious academic institutions. I know Virginia thinks a bit differently. It's not a campus. It's the grounds. And it's Jefferson's. All of that. So you want somebody who kind of gets that and understands that it's a great academic institution. Mike Elko, he played football at Penn. He was a D.C. at Wake, a D.C. at Notre Dame, but yet still could recruit in the South and has had some good defenses at A&M. Mike Elko is a guy I keep a close eye on. Uh, let's skip over to Oklahoma. Now that's the big one. That might get filled by the time we talk to you on Monday. And this is the guy I'm going with. This is a name I don't see attached to this job very much. I, I think a defensive coordinator is going to take the job, but it's not Brent Venables. I think it's Georgia defensive coordinator Dan Lanning, and here's why. He's from the Midwest. He's been in the SEC quite a bit, and that's where Oklahoma's headed. You need somebody who's prepared for that, knows how to recruit that area. Dan Lanning can do that. Maybe the best assist assistant in college football this year, either him or Warren Ruggiero, in my opinion. Think about it. They could have hired Robert this week. Matt Campbell, he's not playing this weekend, could have hired Brent Venables as well. They haven't. Makes you think that, the reason they have it is because that coach is coaching this weekend. Make some think it's Luke Fickle, but not me. I think it's going to be Georgia defensive coordinator Dan Lanning that gets the Oklahoma job. And let's get back to the ACC. Uh, if 
Manny gets fired, uh, Miami. Mario Cristobal's their guy. There's a reason these headlines are coming out, and they've been around for a while. Even without, and some would say, why would you go to that place if they, if they're very dysfunctional? And these headlines are leaking before they've even fired their coach, and they don't even have an AD. If the university president, Robert, is hiring you, and that's the guy in charge, and you don't even have to work through the middleman of an AD, you could just answer straight to the president? That's a plus. So Mario Cristobal, who was born in Miami, played at Miami, coached at Miami, and at FIU, if he's offered the job, I think he's going to take it. Plus, your division just your conference just became more difficult to win with Lincoln Riley coming into it. You haven't won that conference in a major way getting to the playoff since taking that job in 18. And the Coastal's in flux for all the reasons we've talked about. So I, I think Mario Cristobal, that's the guy. I think he's going to get the job. I think they're going to offer it to him, and they're going to get rid of Manny. I just don't know in what order. Let's get a dance break in here before we close things out. and keep it simple. I need the advice of a professional. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Robert, you and I have worked together for close to four or five years now. And I think you know as well as anybody, or maybe folks who have listened to this show with it being on for three and a half years now, I'm a big analytics guy, all about diving into the advanced stats. And there are a ton you could pick between for tomorrow night's Wake Forest-Pittsburgh game that you could listen to right here on WSJS Sports. But I think this one might take the cake. Wake Forest is unbeaten this year in games that our next guest, Riley Skinner, Wake Forest Sports Hall of Famer, attends this season. And as Riley joins us now... He's going to be at the game tomorrow night, so consider that when you're trying to pick this game. And Riley, I just thought of one more advanced analytic right off the top of the dome. Very important stuff, deep analytic talk here. Don't want to get too hardcore for you. Wake Forest is also unbeaten in ACC championship games that Riley Skinner's in the building for. I mean, how about that? That's some deep dive analytics right there. Uh I feel good now that you told me all that. I feel great now that you told me all that. I'm feeling pretty good going into this weekend, but when you went digging in the archives for those kind of stats, it's hard not to be confident, right? That's right. That's why we get paid the big bucks around here. I'd imagine a lot of former guys are going to come back. Who do you know is going to be in Charlotte tomorrow? Well, a bunch of my teammates that I played with, you know, Kenny Moore, um, a buddy, Ben Wooster, Hunter Haynes, uh, John Tereshinsky, all that. I mean, there you can go on and on. There's probably at least 15 or so that I've talked to. I know that'll be there. And then a bunch of others that, that we coming in that I haven't chatted with. So I'm looking forward for a big, big, big showing from Deacon Nation on Saturday. I remember Wes Miller told me that he had these group chats with former Tar Heel teammates that would just constantly update during Tar Heel basketball games from the 2005 North Carolina uh, National Championship team. 
Does the 2006 Deacons, or I guess that era of Deacon football, have a group that still gets together or still uh, stays in touch with each other via group chat? Yeah, we do. I mean, I talk to a bunch of them individually, but then there's a couple avenues. There's one uh, social media group um, that we've got a big, I'd probably say 30 of us on, and then a couple smaller, more intimate ones with, with 5 to 10. So we, we stay uh, in each other's ear plenty throughout the week during the season especially. What did that 5 to 10 group chat look like at about this time last Saturday? A lot of people fired up. A lot of people asking, asking, what's, what's the plane flight like? What time are you getting in? Where's the tailgate spot? Tickets? So it's it's been a little bit of a cluster trying to organize that many people, trying to sit together when the allotments were only – eight to ten at a time but we're figuring out it's it's going to be a good time well believe me whether logistics are in line or not we'll all figure out how to meet up and have a good time together it is wake forest hall of famer riley skinner with us here on wsjs sports do you find when wake's playing in a big game that you're not playing in versus the ones that you actually competed in you get a little bit more nervous because you don't have control of the steering wheel, so to speak? Absolutely not. <laughs> I have, I don't get that nervous now that I'm a spectator. I like to just sit back and enjoy and, and trying to put out as much positive energy as I can for the Deeks to get a W. So it's, it's funny, the last couple of games I've been to, I've woken up the next morning with a significantly hoarse voice. So I, I try to leave it out there in the stands, you know. It's uh, not all the time I get to watch Deeks live and in person living in Jacksonville. So uh, I don't get too nervous going into those games. I frame it that way because I won't say his name, but I was talking to a former Deacon yesterday who told me he just gets so nervous or has this year gotten so nervous watching this team because of everything that's at stake and the way he put it to me was, when I was playing in the game, I felt like I could contribute. But when I'm standing there watching in the stands, I'm just so nervous and there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah, I get that. I don't get nervous, but it is frustrating, especially when I'm watching with my kids. Things start going south in any of the games. We, you know, we do what most fans do, right? You start switching to a different part of the room, change your seat, stand up, sit down, do something to feel like you're influencing what's going on. <laughs> That is the frustrating part. But, look, there hasn't been a lot of nerves so far this year watching these guys play. They play with such confidence, and I feel like it. you can see it on the field the way that this team plays under the you know the leadership of Sam Hartman. But also, Coach Clawson just has these guys, a little more of a veteran team, that just they believe they're going to win every game they play in by two touchdowns or more. And they got the games that have gotten close, you know, other than a you know one really in North Carolina, uh, they've squeaked it out and they've proved they've got what it takes to to win this close game. So, I've come in with a lot of confidence this year watching this team, and it's continued to grow as they've won more and more games. And I come in with some pretty good confidence for Saturday against Pitt. To be honest, I mean it's a crazily evenly matched up game. Two very similar DNAs of teams that I think is going to provide for a great show Saturday night. Riley Skinner is with us here on WSJS Sports. You mentioned Dave Clawson, who yesterday was named ACC Coach of the Year. The last time a Wake coach won that award was Groby in 2006. 
And given this week's headlines in the ACC and nationally of coaches going elsewhere, Wake fans are so happy that this guy extended a week ago and is going to stick around at Wake Forest. But when you were in Winston-Salem and you saw the heights that you guys reached in 2006, but even beyond that as well with the success you have, did you ever fear that Coach Grove might go somewhere else, that the program might lose Coach Groby? Well, he about went somewhere. There was no secret about that. Yeah, he was a yeah. He was he was about to take he was about to take that Michigan job. Um, and we, you know, be honest, like it, we knew about it. It was after our bowl game in 2007, and uh, it was pretty wild. I mean, we thought we were going to lose him. He was big on the coaching search list, and it's funny because some things got leaked out that never uh, he never had the opportunity to talk to us in person. And this goes to show you the character of coach Grove that people started telling, you know, saying that he was going to take the job and take the job. And they put a new story out and it got leaked. He had never talked to his players and he hated that. He didn't like, he thought that was not the way that they were going to go about that. And, uh, sure enough, called the, called the deal off and met us, called an emergency meeting into the, into the players' uh, meeting room, and he talked to us and said, "Look, I'll be honest. I'm here to stay with you guys. Um, that was not how I you know that was not how this was supposed to go down. I'm loyal to you, and it was really cool. It was really testament to his character and how he conducts business and conducted business. And so, absolutely, we were nervous that he was going to go because it was getting put all over the headlines. But luckily, he stayed, and uh, we had a, we had a great time with him the next couple of years, Riley." Have you had a chance to spend any time with Sam Hartman? I've talked with him. Um, I've seen him a little bit, but it's you know it's very brief, right? It's it's on the field or uh, on the practice in the on the practice field. Um, but I talked to him. I text him probably I don't know every week, every week, and so we've had a good time chatting back and forth. And what a guy! What a leader! What a what a person! Um, it's been so fun to watch him. I marvel at the things that he does. His poise, his confidence, his leadership. And in this day and age, where if you're not playing or you're not starting or things aren't going the right way, you kind of take your ball and go home and enter the transfer portal and leave. You know, he could have easily done that, but it, it, it shows what kind of teammate he is and leader he is to stay uh, through his injury and through Jamie Hart, Jamie Newman getting all that, you know, all the reps and all the pub and all that. And I love that about him. I mean, I absolutely admire and respect, and you can see that the team does as well. So he's he is a special, special talent. And I told him, look, bud, you can break all my records you want because he's going to, and I couldn't be more happier for a person like that to be the one to do it. Riley Skinner, Wake Forest Hall of Famer, potentially talking about a future Wake Forest Sports Hall of Famer and Sam Hartman if he does continue putting up numbers like that. I heard a little bit of your football analysis about this game a little while ago, talking about how these teams have similar DNA. But in terms of style of offense, when I watch these teams, a lot of pro-style stuff from Pittsburgh, and that's a big part of the reason why you hear all this draft buzz with Kenny Pickett. And Wake Forest runs an offense that I can't imagine trying to prepare for if you don't see it every year, uh, especially trying to do so on one-week prep like Pittsburgh's trying to do, putting your analyst hat on and removing your Demon Deacon fan hat for a moment, 
What interests you the most about the football matchup tomorrow night? I'll be honest. I want to see our front seven get after the quarterback. I want to see our front seven try to confuse, disrupt, bring blitzes from from all different areas of the field, from a corner, safety blitz, corner and safety blitz. I mean, you know, do what they can to get Kenny Pickett off kilter and off schedule. Because if he has all the time in the world to sit back, look, there's a good chance that cat's getting invited to New York. He's so good. I mean, he is a – I've watched a lot of his games here. He is a very, very good quarterback. Now, when good quarterbacks get pressure early, instinctively – I mean, I play the position. If you got three or four sacks in the first quarter, you're going to naturally just subconsciously start having happier feet, get through your reads quicker, you know, get the ball out before you really want to. And so – that's what I hope we can do. I want to see that from our defense. Because I thought against Boston College, our defense looked better than they have in the last seven or eight games. And that's what I want to see from the front seven of our defense is getting after the quarterback early. So that's one of the top matchups. And, uh, you know, then number two is just watching – watch shoot, just watching Sam Hartman and Kitty Pickett go back and forth against each other. You know, and who makes the least amount of mistakes? Because I think the turnover battle – in a game like this with high-flying offenses and defense that over this season have tend to given up more points. You know, I think they're giving up 25 or 27 points a game, whatever it may be. Turnovers are massive when it comes to one of these whoever has the ball last type game. So those two matchups are, from an analytic standpoint, I'm going to be keeping my eye on. Yeah, and I think those two things are – kind of related too when you're talking about getting pressure and how that's related to turnovers and while you talk about the wake defense needs to focus on that getting on getting on Kenny Pickett early on in the game Wake Forest can't allow Pittsburgh to do that which is top two top three in the country in sacks currently because we saw how that went down at Clemson with the five sacks in the first quarter before we let you go Riley it's so cool that you're making time for us today because We are going to be carrying high school football regional championship action tonight in a couple of hours or so. And I know tonight, the reason why you're not in North Carolina right now instead of talking with us in Jacksonville is that you got a state championship regional tonight, right? We do. The Bowl School are traveling down to Coco to uh, play a really good team tonight in Final Four. So we win this and we go to the third state championship in a row if not season's over so got a big night tonight got to get my mind focused there as much as i can have that game get done hopefully get done with a win and follow it up with another another win saturday night in charlotte and my <laughs> wife and i will be flying out early saturday morning and enjoying the festivities up in charlotte tomorrow get a win tonight get your mind right in the meantime riley and i hope to see you uh, at tomorrow night at Bank of America Stadium. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks, man. Always good talking with you.